Well, good morning. Uh, it is a pleasure to be gathered with you this morning, to be gathered in God's Word. Uh, our message this morning will come directly from the Bible. We will uh, read the text. We will make some observations and some applications along the way, uh, primarily from Nehemiah, but um, there will be some other scripture references as well. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you have spoken through your word to your people. We are grateful that by your spirit and through your word, you act in our lives personally and are acting in the world sovereignly. We ask, Lord, that you reveal yourself to us this morning by your spirit and through your word. We ask, Lord, for grace to receive your word, the power of your grace to enable us to live according to your word this morning. We praise you, Lord, for the word made flesh, Jesus Christ, the incarnate word of God who died for our sin, whom you raised from the dead, sending us your Holy Spirit to convict, comfort, correct, and help us to understand the scriptures we're going to look at today, Lord. We ask, Lord, uh, for removal of distractions and those things that would cause us to not be attentive to your word. Uh, it is warm, Lord, and, and so we need your intervention to help us to be attentive to what your word says so that we might understand and that we might walk in the truths we hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So now uh, we'll begin this morning reading the inherent, infallible, unchanging Word of God from Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 73 through uh, chapter 8. So let us begin here in 773. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. All the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Anaiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah, and on his right, on his right hand, and on and Padaiah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Joshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peleah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. 
Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet. For this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun. To that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there's very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. This is the word of God. So as we begin this morning, we begin here with a crisis. There was a crisis among the people of God who have returned to Jerusalem. There was a famine in the land. Seventy years of captivity have left the people of God biblically illiterate and spiritually malnourished. As Amos chapter 8 describes the condition of Jerusalem, this is the condition they were in at this time. In Amos chapter 8 verses 11 and 12 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor of a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. So as we look around today in the American church, today the people of God have been starved for biblical truth. The pulpit has been replaced by entertainment, by drama teams, by slick programming, by self-stylized worship. Preachers of the truth have been replaced by self-centered actors and salesmen who play church on Sunday. And they have these designs in their messages to uh, get people to admire them, to fill the coffers, and to pack the auditorium. See, prosperity in America has left the people in our churches under an anesthesia. It is that they, they find themselves blinded to the fact that the church is full of people who are sleepwalking through life, starving for biblical truth, and they're in a sort of coma. The American church is so malnourished of the truth that we have gotten to the point where biblical truth is even rejected inside of our worship services. Paul writes to Timothy concerning our time in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. See, what was needed in Jerusalem and what is needed now in the American church is is a Holy Spirit of God awakening. 
the Jewish exiles who were returning, they needed a, a divinely enabled desire for the Word of God. A reformation. A returning to the principles of old. A restoration to right-hearted practice. The people of God needed men who would elevate the Word of God to the center of the worship of God. The people of God needed men who knew the Word of God and who were confident in the Word of God so that they would uh, intentionally, regularly expose God's people to God's Word without reservation so that the people would understand the Word of God, so that the people would rejoice in the Word of God, and so that the people would remember the Word of God. And they would remember this about the Word of God, that it is all that is needed for faith and for practice. And to remember, as we just sang, the promises of God, that there is a great salvation contained in the Word of God. So as you can see from our outline this morning, we're talking a bit about revival. I have titled this passage this message this morning, Revival, uh, People of the Word. I want to look a little bit more closely at the first three verses. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and all those who could understand. Now, all the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. I want you to notice something this morning in this text that I have read it many times and passed it by. Notice with me that the desire for the word of God is preceded by the people's trust in the word of God. Because the people of God desire for Ezra to bring the book of the law. The people are the one who call. They're calling for the word. This desire for the word of God can only be explained by God awakening the people to the famine and the, their own spiritual condition. You see, they would not have, no one would clamor and want and desire the word of God lest God did a work in them to cause them to desire it. Paul, quoting from the Scriptures in the letter to the Romans, writes, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. So no one does good, not even one. So the people's desire for the law of God, I want us to get this, is a work of God first. It is a work of God to desire God's Word. God must awaken the people to their spiritual condition, to their comatose, to take them out of a coma, to make them recognize that they are malnourished, that they are spiritually dead. See, spiritually dead people, malnourished people, must be revived, renewed, and regenerated to desire the things of God. And this is a principle of the grace of God that we must get to is that regeneration precedes faith. So at the risk of offending any of my Pentecostal brothers and sisters, I want you to understand this, that people do not hold a revival. People do not schedule a revival, put up a tent, 
and say, we had revival. It doesn't work like that. You know why? Because revival is a work of God. Revival is a grace from God. Revival is dependent upon God. Revival is a work of God. Alistair Bake says, if you want revival, go out in the front of your house and paint a circle on your driveway. Stand in the middle of that circle and then pray to God to revive everything in the circle. It is a work of God. We should note that regeneration is not only necessary for the desire to hear the Word of God, but regeneration is necessary. Grace is necessary. We need grace is necessary for the people of God to be attentive to the law here in this text. It was a grace of God that caused them to be attentive to the Word of God. Can you imagine this? That if I said to you that next Sunday morning we were going to gather at 8, and I was going to open the Word of God at 8.15, and I was going to continue reading from it until noon. Could you imagine how hard it would be for us to be attentive to the Word of God from morning till midday? But here, here they are. They're attentive as Ezra reads from the book of the law from morning to midday. He reads from the book of the law. So regeneration, a work of grace is necessary for the people of God to be attentive to it. Regeneration, a work of grace is necessary for the people of God to understand the Word of God. It is a work of the Holy Spirit that we understand the Word of God. That we get it. That we understand who God is. See, there's a point in reading the Scriptures, isn't there? It's not that we come to some mental apprehension of a truth, that we come to some sort of understanding and knowledge necessarily, although that happens. But on the pages of Scripture, we come to know the person of Jesus Christ. And we come to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, the incredible truth. To tell uh, an unregenerated person that God became man and lived as one of us, that He never made an error in His relationship to God, and that somehow His death, His punishment, satisfied God's wrath for sin. An unregenerated person cannot hear that message. They do not know God. They cannot know Him, it says, unless God does a work. So what has happened here in this text in these people, Israel, God has done a work already. You see, they've been in there for 70 years. They were apart and away from the law and away from the worship of God. And so here they are. So, as we look at this text this morning, we need to understand this, that the people of God are drawn by the Word of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God work hand in hand. Let us look at verses 4 through 6. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform, that they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah, and on his right hand, and, and Padiah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left. 
And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, their great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. So the teacher of the law, Ezra, is a man now who is captured by the law of God. And Ezra elevates the word of God, the word of the law, to the center of the worship of God. The law of God has preeminence in the assembly. Ezra reverences the word of God, and therefore the people of God revere the word of God. Ezra here is not delivering a message of his own making. He is not making observations from the world and making them fit the law of God. He is simply stating, thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. The church today needs men who are captured by the word of God. The preacher of God's word must be a man who desires nothing more than proclaiming the excellencies of Christ from the word of God. The assembled people of God. Here's what I want us to notice too. I want us to pay attention to the assembly here. The assembled people of God, as it is referred to here in this Old Testament text, and the Hebrew word is the same meaning as the Greek text word ekklesia, assembly, church. You see, it is the people of God who are the ecclesia, the church. They are drawn by the word of God. It is the word of God which draws them. It is the word of God which keeps them. It is the word upon which their worship is centered. It is the word to which they respond, Amen and Amen. Thus saith the Lord, Amen. What is Amen? So be it. Thus saith the Lord, so be it. Well, our aim here at Spring Hill Church is to be a people of the Word. Like Ezra in this passage, we gather, when we gather, we gather to pray the Word, we gather to read the Word, and as you heard from the lyrics of the songs that Brian sang this morning, we sing the Word. We do all this to glorify the God that has been revealed to us in the Word. The people of God are drawn by and formed by the Word of God. The Word of God is central then to the worship of God. Listen to what the psalmist writes in 138, Psalm 138. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. God exalts his name and his word above all things. Should that not bring us to a holy reverence for the Word of God, right? Should that not make us think about the reasons that we uh, get up in the morning and come to a church service? Do we come because, well, our friends are there and people are going to be nice to us and we can be nice to them? Are we there so that we can be seen and be known by them? Are we there so that we can catch some feelings of goodness about ourselves or those kind of things? Are we there understanding this, that... Uh, aside from the preacher's follies and inabilities and all of that, is that the Word of God is spoken. That I am going to hear in anticipation the Word of God. God is going to speak. That should be our aim as we think about how God elevates His own Word and His name. In verses 7 through 8, let us look at those 
Also, Joshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akbub, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Pelei, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book of the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. You see, the spiritual growth of God's people comes from a steady diet of God's word being exposed to them. Ezra and the Levites exposed the people to the word of God completely, correctly, and clearly. Stephen Lawson says that if there's a mist in the pulpit, it leads to a fog in the pew. So the idea is that the person preaching the word of God needs to know the word of God to deliver the word of God so that it is clear and that it is understood. And if it is not understood, that is what the rest of the elders are for. As you see these other Levites who were out in the crowd, these are the elders who can help and are there to help the people understand the word of God clearly and to, and to, and to know it and, to, and to, to get it. And then those who were on the platform, those on his left and those on his right, those were the servants of the word of God. Those were God's servants to serve the needs of the people, to remove distractions from them hearing and understanding the word of God. The kind of preaching that God blesses is this. It is when the point of the sermon is the point of the passage. Expositional preaching is without personal agenda. Uh, it is not dependent upon the charisma of the preacher. But the preaching of the Word of God that blesses God is that which delivers the sense and the point of God's Word to God's people. The people of God need help. People of God need help in living according to the law of God here. And they need help in understanding the law of God. And the men who stood with Ezra as he read the law in verse 4 are those who served the people in assisting with practical needs that they might uh, remove any hindrance from a living according to the law. Those who were out there among the people, the Levites in verse 7, they are versed in the law. They assisted in removing spiritual hindrances to the understanding of the law. See, this is a lot like the New Testament government of the church, isn't it? It's still set up the same way. There are deacons who are serving the Word of God preached by serving to remove practical hindrances from obeying the law, obeying God's Word. God has also raised up men to assist with the ministry of the Word, to remove any spiritual hindrances, to clear understanding of the Word of God, and we call them elders. When the Word of God is preached, there are hindrances to receiving and understanding the Word, no matter how clearly, no matter how correctly, or how completely the message that was delivered is. And you know what the greatest hindrance to understanding the Word of God completely, correctly, and clearly is? The biggest hindrance? It is the human heart. Let us turn, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, we're going to read the parable of the soils. And this will give us some help this morning in, uh, in seeing the condition of the human heart as the great hindrance to receiving and understanding the Word of God. 
Mark chapter 4, let's begin in verse 3. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing a yield, uh, and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So now, if we think of the soil as the human heart, we see four kinds of hearts. And we see the reason why we need help. The first type of heart we see is the stubborn, unreceptive heart. The heart that is indifferent to the Word of God. Like the seed that fell along the path and was disregarded by the soil. We have the heart who is, who is um, indifferent and unreceptive, who disregards the Word of God. Then, secondly, we see the heart that is shallow and superficial. The heart that seems to enjoy the things of the word until such things become costly. Like the seed that sprung up quickly but was withered away when the heat of the sun came upon it. Thirdly, we see the worldly strangled heart. The heart that has its allegiances split. The heart that is entangled with worldly pursuits to the point of choking out the effect of the word in their lives. See, this is the church member that bears no fruit. It's like the seed that produces no grain here in this text. It is that heart that is choked out by so much of the world that it bears no fruit. It bears no likeness to the name with which they proclaim. And then fourthly, finally, the fourth heart is the one that is soft and receptive. The heart that bears up against the storms of life. The heart that receives the Word of God as it is. The very Word of God. The heart that receives and believes and bears the fruit that is befitting repentance. So this morning I ask, which heart do we have today? Which heart do you have today? You see, we need in our churches today, we need men and women to serve the Word of God to remove practical hindrances to the Word. We need men of biblical understanding to serve as elders in our churches to assist with spiritual understanding and guidance in the truth. We need preachers who will boldly proclaim the truth of God's Word. We need the Holy Spirit of God to act upon our stubborn, indifferent, strangled hearts to by grace enable and empower us with soft hearts to receive the Word of God. Paul writes to the Corinthians concerning the need for divine intervention as it pertains to receiving the Word of God with a soft heart. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, he says this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, the natural man or woman is dull of hearing. They're dull of hearing because of inherited sin and because of their own transgressions against holy God. The God who speaks cannot be heard by those who are dead to the things of the Spirit. But Jesus, who was born in the likeness of sinful flesh, is the Word of God manifest in human flesh. 
Jesus Christ, who lived in perfect obedience to the Father, died for the dullness of hearing that we have, and now God has spoken through Him. Hebrews says that long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sin, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become a much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And you see, because Jesus Christ was obedient unto death, God, who raised Him from the dead, He ascended to heaven, and He gave us the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, that we might hear and that we might believe, and that our hard-heartedness might be broken down into softness. The things that have strangled us out from hearing the Word of God, those distractions, those things that have choked out His Word would be removed in the person of Jesus Christ that we might hear from God's Word today. The Spirit of truth aligned and, and in concert with the Word of God is what we need to hear and believe. So there may be some here who are hearing for the first time, who are uh, distracted by much things and maybe not even paying attention, but this morning I want you to pay attention to this. If you are hearing the Word of God and for the first time it is clear to you right now that God may be opening your heart and opening your ears to receive the truth, that right now do you sense that that God is softening your heart to receive His Word this morning. Today, turn from your sin. Turn from yourself and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died for your sin. And confess with your mouth that God raised Him from the dead and you shall be saved. If you believe and confess today that God has softened your hard heart by the Spirit and that He has given you ears to hear, you have been born again to a brand new life. You have been saved. But there's one thing, there's a little problem. There's a little problem. Because you may have heard and listened to this word this morning and just ignored it. Here's the problem. You got big problems. You have a big problem from this day forward. From this day forward, you have a big problem because the word of God was spoken to you now and whether or not you believed it or received it, you are accountable to it. So you got a big problem. If you've sat and listened to the Word of God this morning and have not heeded it, you've got big problems. you got big problems. Because you will be accountable to a holy God. Because His Word is truth. So I am pleading right now with the Holy Spirit to soften hearts to remove the entanglements and the things that strangle out His Word to my own hardness, to the ways in which I've become callous to what it says. I can read it and say that I believe it, but sometimes when it's about living according to it, I become callous to it. Yeah, I know it says that, but I know God's Word has revealed this to me and that I ought to do this, but... I make up all kinds of buts for myself. Don't we do that? Yes, this is the truth, but. Well, what's the but? 
The but is, I love my sin and want to do what I want to do. I want to be in charge of me. I know what God's Word says, but I. I love that we sang that song this morning about not I, but Christ, but the Christ who's in me, right? All of those things we claim, not I, but it is Christ in me. Well, let us uh, look at verses 9 through 12 back in Nehemiah. So, Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to your Lord, to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat, drink, and to send portions, and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. See, this day, the Lord's day, this day there, but for us, this day, the Lord's day, is to be set apart for the hearing of the Word of God. It was a day to rejoice in the day that the Lord had made. It was a day to rejoice that His law was proclaimed and understood. A day to rejoice that God had given them a spirit of and a desire to be attentive to the Word of God that was declared. When the Word of the law was understood by the people, they were confronted though. What were they confronted with? They were confronted with sinfulness. The law showed them then who God is. And conversely, when confronted with the Word of God, it shows us who we are. It shows us that we fall short of the glory of God. Now, Nehemiah here says that this conviction of sin is surely the sign that the Lord has given you understanding. This is certainly a sign that the Word of God has been spoken to you and that the Spirit of God is working in you. Is the sorrow for sin. These people are sorrowful for sin. But notice what they say. This day is holy. This is a great day. This is a day of rejoicing because you have understood God's law. The Holy Spirit has convicted you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And that is a clear sign that you belong to Him. It's not a day for sadness and weeping. It is a day for rejoicing because the Word of God was spoken to your heart and you received it and you understood it. It is a day to rejoice. Rejoice in this day. The Holy God has spoken on this day and He's granted you ears to hear what the Spirit has spoken. And the people of God hear and understand the Word of God. They have soft, receptive hearts and they are sorrowful for their sin. This godly sorrow, again, is a source of rejoicing. On this holiest of days, you have caught a glimpse of the glory of God through His Word. The people of God rejoice in the Lord's day. The people of, of the Word rejoice in the Word that confronts them. They rejoice in the Word that corrects them, as well as the Word that comforts and assures them. I don't know how many times as a pastor over the last few years where I've spoken something from the Word of God and afterwards I've had a person either meet me in my office or in the lobby or in the entryway and said, you can't say that. I cannot? Why, why can I not say that? 
you can't say that because that will hurt some people's feelings. And that hurt my feelings. I said, well, I apologize for the fact that your feelings are hurt. But I don't apologize for the Word of God. If it says what it says, then that's kind of how we have to deal. And soon I discovered that those who, who, who confront me with those sort of things, they don't like that the Word of God confronts them. They weren't drawn to the church by the Word of God in the first place because they never come back. The people of God are drawn in fellowship with one another and in worship by the Word of God, no matter how hard it is. I remember I was, I've talked with my brother-in-law about this uh, several times. As I have read through a text of Scripture and then it points something out in me that I do not like or it points out a truth that I cannot quite wrap my head and my spirit around and I really don't like it. And I read it again and again and I say, I can't like this. God, I don't like what it says. Well, whether I like it or not, it's the truth. And the sooner I come to grips with, this is the truth of God's word. It's what he said. Uh, the better off I'm going to be instead of fighting against it. But the people of God love the word of God, whether it convicts, comforts, confronts, corrects. It does all of those things. But the people of God are drawn by the word of God. And so he tells them here that, that the Word of God, the Word of God is to be desired, as we saw in the beginning, right? That preacher and Ezra the priest elevates the Word of God. It is explained and exposed to them so that it is clearly understood. And then the people of God rejoice in the Word of God. And finally, let's look at 13 through 18, and we see that the people remember the Word of God. It brings them to remembrance. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. See, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you can take everything I said at the end of the day. Here's the aim. Here's the aim of the preacher. Here's the aim of Ezra, the priest. Here's the aim of the preaching of the word of God. That from this day forward will never be the same. When the Word of God penetrates your ears and your hearts and your soul and you receive a truth from it, that from this day forward is never the same. Everything is to have changed. For Israel, this day would forever change the trajectory of the community. 
for the trajectory of their lives. They were brought into remembrance of God's gracious provision for them in their wilderness wanderings. As they remembered that these Feast of Booths was to remind them of God's provision. You can look at that in Exodus 17 if you want later. You can see that, that God provided for them. And this, these tents and other places as well, that the, this uh, dwelling in booths was to remind them that God provided for them. They commemorated their remembrance here by dwelling in booths in their courts and in the courts of the house of God. You see, they were remembering God's grace daily and that God's grace daily was changing their lives. Remembrance of God's grace became the rhythm of their lives as they kept the Feast of Booths. And they, they marked it on both ends by an assembly of the people around the law on day one and on day eight. It became the rhythm of their life. The word of God being preached was the rhythm of their life. Everything had changed. It had become their rhythm. It had become their rhythm to remember the word of God. It had become their rhythm, rhythm to remember God's gracious acts towards them as they assembled. And they assembled around the reading of God's law. See, that is the hope of every sermon preached, is that the people of God would never be the same. That today, from day on, the pattern and the trajectory of your lives would follow a new path from the understanding that God gave you in His Word. And this pattern, I would hope, is that we have a pattern of soft and receptive hearts. That from this day forward, we are not the same. We've been given a soft and receptive heart to the Word of God, and this becomes the pattern of our life. Softly embracing and receiving God's Word. And that the preached Word is what draws us in a daily rhythm, in the daily life that we live, and in setting aside the Lord's day as holy to hear God's Word. That we would come each Lord's Day in anticipation of what God might speak. The Lord's Day is a day for us to remember grace. Isn't it? It is a day for us to remember grace. That salvation is not of us. It's all of Him. That's a day for us to remember and to be excited and rejoice in. That no matter what troubles we've been in, no matter how far we've fallen off the path this week, we come and know that we're going to hear from the Word of God, and in the Word of God, we see the words of grace. We see that it is by God's grace that I am saved, not works of my own. I need to come and have that told to me over and over and over again. I need to hear from God's Word that God is gracious, that God is forbearing and patient and kind. You see, I want us to embrace correction, to embrace a confrontation from God's Word, as well as we embrace God's comfort, as well as we embrace God's assurance from the law. I pray that we would also embrace that which God confronts us in His Word. Because what does that, conf uh, that, that confrontation to our hearts do for us. It builds in us the character of Christ, doesn't it? That is in His image that we are being transformed. These confrontations from the Word of God conform us to the image of His Son in whom we find our salvation. 
I want us to recognize this, that the people of God are people of the Word of God. That's what I want us to remember. We are people of the book. Israel had come back and after 70 years of kind of silence and the Spirit of God has filled them up and they come and say to, to Nehemiah, have Ezra bring us the book of the law. God gave them a desire to hear from them, hear from him. And with soft and receptive hearts, they received the word of God. Sorrowful for sin, rejoicing in their great salvation, and then remembering God's grace as it is spoken from his word. So after we take a moment of silence, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And it is our way to remember the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ for us and for us to rejoice in our great salvation. So let us pray and then we'll take just a moment silently. Father, uh, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would have, have your way in here. I pray, Lord, that uh, anything that was not of you this morning, uh, you would erase it from our thinking, but that what the Spirit spoke, that which is in line with your word and your truth would be that which we would embrace this morning. So Lord, again, have your way as we remember your grace in Jesus Christ. Amen.